Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach small products to your backpack, roller, or tote. It is very important to have the right luggage and the right bag when you are traveling. There's no doubt about that. We are now teaming up with DB for an exclusive offer to our listeners of 10% off when you purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in the show notes. DB, it's time to move on. It's time to get going. That is 10% off using the code POD10 at our link. That is DB, it's time to move on and it's time to get going. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... Power Trip of Wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz, and with me today is a former NWA, Deep South, and FCW referee. He's, of course, a former senior official for the WWE and WCW. He is none other than Mr. Nick Patrick. Nick, welcome to the two-man Power Trip. Well, hello there, and thanks for having me. What have you been up to? I feel like you're, uh, you know, you got some news to break. You'll be uh, starting up Deep South Wrestling again, right? Uh, yes, sir. The old family company that uh, my father and I started back in the in the uh, '80s, and uh, it ended up being turned into the uh, WCW absorbed it, and it turned into the power plant, and uh, then it kind of went dormant for a little while, and uh, then it came back to life again as it became a training center for uh, WWE before they moved down to start the training facility they got now down there in Florida. But uh, we had all the equipment and stuff still left over, all of our TV set, and uh, I was training a couple of kids, and there's so many really talented kids around that, uh, and all waiting in line to get looked at by one company or another, and uh, they were looking for a place to work out during the pandemic, and uh, my father's got this big metal building, and we had all of our equipment stored in it, all the old Deep South stuff. So I, I set the ring up. I originally set it up because my youngest son was interested in it, but 
he became more interested in the technical end, and uh, he actually is doing he's doing real well. He's uh, he's a freelancer, but he works a lot with NBC Sports. He's a, he works camera. He works uh, the pit box that they do uh, down on pit row, where they have the announcers talking in the pit box, talking about the race. My son is the one that uh, sets up the pit box and runs one of the cameras, and does he he does a lot of stuff for him. But uh, he was more interested in that end than the wrestling end. But anyway, I had a bunch of kids coming by that wanted to, to have a place to work out, and uh, we started training. And I, I really started just kind of renting it out, renting the ring out to more experienced guys. And now I do train uh, young people too that are just breaking in. But uh, I have one of my, I have a couple of trainers that actually do it. I don't. I'm 60 years old now, and I'm not jumping back in the ring with with some young green folks that are that are just now learning what they're doing. So uh, I put them with my experienced guys. And uh, I said, well, you know, I've got the idea, you know, well, you know, why don't we come up with an Internet show? And while y'all are waiting to get looked at by bigger companies, well, we'll get you looked at ourselves. So that's what we decided to do. And uh, DeepSouthWrestling.com is uh, is out there right now if you want to check out show one. And as a matter of fact, tonight I just got the word just right before you called me, our second show has been uh, put onto the website. It's for free. You can check it out, and uh, it, it's on as of tonight, show number two. And I've got show number three booked for uh, Sunday coming up, the uh, 16th. And I'll be announcing the release date after that, but it'll be several weeks because it takes a while for us to put it together once we record it. That is great. Deep South is back. How's it going? Yeah, we're up and rolling. It's an Internet show. I'm not really so much interested in running shows per se and, you know, not right away. Because, you know, especially with the pandemic, and right now there's somebody running a, a wrestling show in almost every little town, you know. And so I'm just more concerned with uh, running a good Internet wrestling show. That it, it's And my show, is a, it's a combined look. It's, it's old school and new school wrestling, but we're in a tight, it's in a tight environment. It's, uh, there's no fans. It's studio style. And uh, I don't have uh, announcers, per se, because uh, when I sit there, I, I realized when I was watching guys train and I was watching guys have matches with each other in the building, and, you know, especially if we had like five or six people in there working out together, that it was small and intimate, and it was just, it, it was like there was an electricity there. And with the people that around the ring, what I do is I have all the people that are on the cards surround the ring, Heels on one side, baby faces on the other with a referee in the, referee in the ring, but another referee on the floor uh, separating everybody. And everybody's in character th throughout the matches. We don't have the ring ramp with the intros and the lights and the wind machine. And you know, I wanted to, I wanted to have a different look. If I was going to come up and have another wrestling show, because there's a million wrestling shows out there, and everybody does the same thing that we've all seen for years and years and years, and everybody's got an intro song. And and to me, and maybe this may sound mean, I don't know, but an intro with music that works for a lot of characters, but it's for the characters really that are over to me, like an undertaker and people like that, the intro and the music and all that, that's part of their deal. But when I'm watching a show and they've got a new character that comes popping up and I don't know who the character is and they're playing some music and I don't know what the song is and then nobody's over yet. And you just, you got to watch them. Now they got to walk down to the ring for five minutes and then they're in the back of the ring. It's just a lot of walking and talking. And I tried to cut all that out. 
So people get a chance to get their character over. Uh, we, we start off, we, they get an interview before their match, talking about their match and their opponent, and then we go right straight to the ring. We use our company music uh, to play during throughout the deal. And it's kind of a combination look of old school wrestling, new school wrestling, and fight club look kind of with the guys surrounding the ring. And uh, instead of having the ramp for guys to walk down and get their characters over and all that, they can get their characters over from rounding the ring. You know, be in character while you're watching the match. Because my cameraman, it's a three-camera shoot, and uh, we have two mounted cameras, and the third camera is surround is constantly moving and shooting over guys' shoulders. So guys get an opportunity to be in character and interact with what's going on in the ring. And so the guys give it up for the folks that are in the ring because because uh, when they're in the ring, the folks are going to give it up for them too. And uh, it's a really good environment. And I thought that using announcers to talk over the interaction of the group of guys, I, th- I thought it, it took away from that. And uh, so I don't use actual ring announcers. I just let – I try to bring people into the building to, with us, and it's a small building, and try to bring them into the ring with us. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I didn't want to come out with a show that did the same thing that, you know, uh, nobody's ever going to compete with Vince as far as his intros with his laser show and the big ramp and all that. You know, you're just not going to. But everybody yet still tries. And, you know, and to me, you end up looking like a second or, you know, you're second or third place no matter what you do. So why not go off the board and try something completely different? You know, so that's <clears throat> that's what I've done. And I've uh, I added a couple of different little rules. I didn't try to uh, rewrite the wrestling book or anything. Everything's basically the same. The only two different rules that I can think of right off the top of my head is the uh, one save rule for tag team matches. Each tag team gets one save, period. If you come in and make a second save, then it's a disqualification. And that way you got strategy, you know, if a team has to come in and use their save early, then they then they, they have to change their strategy up because they can't use it. You know, they would have used it. It's like using timeouts kind of, you know, in football or whatever. And my other rule is, this is a unique rule. <clears throat> I call it the receipt rule. It's a receipt in wrestling. You know, you've been around enough, you know, for the insides mm-hmm. of wrestling. If the inside, uh, when you're wrestling somebody and somebody really tags you hard, well, you tag them back. You give as good or better than what you got. And that's called giving them a receipt. So my receipt rule is if somebody does something, say, for instance, a low blow, which has happened already, or using a foreign object or something, they do something and get caught, and it has an effect on the outcome of the match. Well, then the person that had that perpetrated against them will be able to have the receipt rule enacted, which means if they have a rematch, Say, for instance, what's happened here, I had a a match, two young guys, they were really, really getting it. It was a good technical match. You'll see it. It's on the second show. You'll see what it it was released tonight. It was Prince Kai and Shoot Taylor. And uh, Prince Kai, at the end of the deal, I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but I will tell you, just this one finish of what happens, he ends up hitting the kid with a low blow because the kid was bringing it. And and it, it was to save himself from getting beat. So... I when they I have them booked for a rematch on show number three, and I'm going to inform them. I'm informing everybody here now. They'll be informed if they, unless they hear this now that the first time ever the receipt rule is going to be enacted, which means that Shoot Taylor during the course of the match 
if he decides to use that receipt and give Prince Kai a low blow, then he won't be disqualified for it. But if Prince Kai does, he will be. Uh-huh. That makes okay. sense to you? Yes, yes, gotcha. So, you know, like if you get hit with a chair and you get caught and it causes a DQ, well, if there's a rematch, well, then the person that got hit with that chair, they got a free shot at you. So, you know, you better be very careful with what you do and how you do it. And if you're going to do it, you better get away with it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, end with the receipt rule. If you have the match, you don't necessarily have to use it during that match. You can hang on to it. It's like winning the money in the bank uh, deal. You know, you can hang on to that receipt for as long as you want to. The guy never knows when that receipt is coming. You know, that's up to you. It could be during a match. It could be during one of his interviews. I would suggest using it during a match since uh, you already had one used against you. But uh, but that's the only really two differences we got. Everything else is uh, I'm a little more relaxed with the uh, with the punches. Uh, you know, because if, I'm not trying to emulate MMA by any stretch of the imagination because people that watch wrestling want to see wrestling. But there's so many things in MMA that people like and understand now different types of wrestling holds and different types of submissions and stuff that I try to interject all of that stuff. I've got guys that uh, are martial arts guys. I've got guys that are, that have boxed. I've got, you know, street fight guys. I got, you know, and I try to let each guy incorporate their style. I do not want to have a cookie cutter mold looking crew where everybody looks the same, works the same, does the same, blah, blah, blah. You know, I want it all different. I like my show to change gears and I like to have different looks for different matches. I like that. Adding some new wrinkles into it and making people think a little bit. Yeah. And it's a one hour show. It's just a one hour show. It's going to come out. I try to do it once a month, but it doesn't quite work out that way. Cause with, with COVID and scheduling and then getting everything edited down, it's, Usually takes about six weeks, you know, in between shows. So uh, I got my next one all planned out and ready. It's uh, it's going to be fire, and each one seems to get a little bit better each time. And uh, and I'm really tickled. The first show's been on the internet for like over a month now, so you can check that out. But the second one has been released as of tonight. It's on there right now. You can check it out at DeepSouthWrestling.com and. Uh, we start off different. I start, what I do is uh, we go to the studio where the guy that records it, he's got a big living room set, and I sit there and I bring an old, somebody from the past, from one of the old original Deep South members or somebody in old, you know, there's going to be different superstars that I bring in, but are from the past. And then I bring in somebody currently that was on the show. That way they can have another chance to get their character over and learn to talk a little bit. And, not learn to talk because most of them already you know, are pretty damn good with their promos, but uh, they get a chance to get their character over and and be in a little more FaceTime, and then and it uh, introduces some of the older guys too that a lot of people would remember from back in the day. So that's uh, that's kind of what we do. We started off where you uh, and uh, it was like we're all sitting watching the big screen TV, and I'll say, "All right, you guys ready? Here we go!" And I'll hit the remote, and we start watching the Deep South show. And we don't try to talk over it, like I said, because I don't want announcers talking over all the interaction that's the ring interaction from the crew that's surrounding the ring, because that's them getting their characters over, you know. So uh, it, that's basically what it is. I've tried to, like I said, I've tried to do something that looks different and feels different than, than all the other shows. You know, we don't have the ramps and the laser lights and stuff, but we're in tight and we give you more action 
in less time. I got five matches in a one-hour show, and uh, each person gets an interview. It's about a minute long. I don't time them. I let them go by feel. You know, if something starts dragging, then I will recut it and make it where it flows. You know, because uh, because we are pre-taping everything. But uh, so far, everything has gone really well, and I'm very excited about the product that we're putting out right now. Your father, the legendary assassin Jody Hamilton. What does he think about all this? Wow, Pop is Pop digs it. He's uh, he used to when I first started training people up there, he'd pull up there with his truck and roll his windows down and have his hair going and have his cigar going and have a little clipboard and, and be watching matches and writing down notes and he'd critique everybody. And but uh, Pop's Pop's about to turn eighty three now. And uh, he doesn't get up there as much and get around as much, but he he does watch the show, and I'm probably going to try to get him to be one of my special guests one night if I can get him where he's he's feeling good enough to do it, you know. But uh, popping them, like I said, my mom and dad both are they're, they're 83 now, and I'm so blessed to still have both of them in my life. And that's basically kind of what I do is getting Deep South up and rolling and taking care of my parents now. Help well, I don't completely take care of them, but I do a lot to help them out. And uh, my oldest son is autistic, and uh, I train with him. You'll see a bunch of that stuff that's about to come out on our website too because I worked out with Nick. Nick is 35 now, and we worked out for, ooh, this would be 19 years coming up. We started back in 2002. And we went to Gold's Gym for 17 years, and then the pandemic hit, and we stopped going. And uh, we just now, this is the, we've gone this our second week back, and but we didn't go back to Gold's this time. We went to Planet Fitness this time because he wanted to try something new. And I don't know if you know anything about autistic people; they're very, very uh, schedule oriented, and they have their schedules and their habits, and that they and it's it's hard change is very difficult for them. So when he told me he wanted to try something different other than gold, I was like, whoa, okay, man. And uh, I'm really digging it. Planet Fitness, is, it was great. The, the equipment's all new. It's spotlessly clean. And uh, and I like taking Nick to a gym because it's not just working out. Nick knows when he goes there, I don't treat him any different than anybody else. And that's one place he can go where for that hour, hour and a half that we're in there, he is just like everybody else. He gets in there, man, he bangs those weights, and he hits that cardio, and he absolutely loves it. And then he has social interaction. He talks to different people, speak to him, he talks to them. And uh, it's uh, working out is, is a blessing for my son and myself, and I'm really glad that we finally have got those dadgum vaccinations and are able to start getting back to normal life. And now... Hopefully, wrestling will start being able to get back to normal life. Absolutely. You see that certain promotions are starting to run again, or at least have dates where they're going to run again. So that's got to be a good sign. Yeah, that's a good sign. And they, but they can't really fill their schedule yet because they have, not every place has opened up yet. You know, back in the day, we've traveled everywhere, all you know, in different countries. And now if you go to different countries, there's quarantine and I think when they start back, they're going to probably have to try and back in, like, say, for WWE and AEW. I think they're going to probably have to focus mostly on U.S. shows at the beginning and get back up and rolling because going overseas, I mean, that's they make huge money overseas. It's huge money. But right now, going to different places, with, you know, like I said, not everybody is 
up on the vaccinations like like, like we are right now, and uh, and the different countries make you have to quarantine when you go there. And, well, a wrestling show, you don't have time to quarantine, man. You land, you're on a bus, and you're off to the hotel or the building or the show, and it's boom, 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 you know. They don't got time to sit there and wait and sit two weeks to quarantine and then do the same thing when you come back home. And Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be very interesting, but I think they're probably going to have to focus mainly on the United States getting it up and rolling. With, you know, Deep South and stuff, is something – going to be where you guys want to do some touring around Georgia and stuff, or you really just want to keep it where it is? Once uh, I am open to anything. I am going to push it as hard as I can push it and see where it goes. I'm not going to pigeonhole it or say that I don't want to do anything because I don't want to hold anything back. You know, I want to give uh, I want to give it a chance, and I want to give these kids a chance because uh, I've got a really good crew, a core crew of kids that have come in and work for me. And uh, I'm trying to develop a system now where I can rotate and keep them fresh. Because when you're only doing a, a one-hour show, you only got five matches, you, know, you have to pick your 10 or 12 people that you're going to kind of stick with for a while and feed. try to find people that can work to feed to them. And, and you know, and while they're getting over, because if they, can't, if they just work with each other the whole time, you're going to run out of ideas quick. You know, this is a small crew. And you've got 10 or 12 people that everybody's all trying to get over at the same time, you know, which that's in every company. But at least with a company like WWE, Vince will come up and say, like I, like when I was up there, I'll never forget the meeting. I was sitting there, and they was, he walked in and said, oh, by the way, that young John Cena kid, he's been given the green light. So all your writers and all your agents, uh, bear that in mind when you're uh, putting his stuff together. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, somebody been given the green light, then that's that's a whole whole different scenario there. So anyway, I thought that was I was pretty cool to be part of that meeting. Anyway, yeah, see how yeah. see how far he went with it too. The kid did really well. Absolutely, yeah. When he gives you the green light, boy, he gives you the green light. Puts the rocket oh, on you. And, and boy, you ain't kidding, and you better be ready for it too, because you're dedicating your life to that now. You have no longer have. You know, you'll be making a ton of money, but you won't never be home to enjoy it. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God, yes. Working, you know, 300 days a year, right? Oh, yeah. And if you're not working a show and you think you get to go home, oh, no, we've got a special autograph signing for you to do here. And then, you know, it's like, wow. You know, they don't get a chance. Well, if you if you watch the special that just did with Austin and, uh, and, the, and the one with Undertaker, too, Undertaker was uh, doing the interview talking about Austin, and they talked about family life and what it's like when you when you dedicate yourself to being up there and you're in the mix and you're over. There's casualties along the way, and it's family members and friends and the only that that and, and relationships that you that you just lose. But you know you, you have to accept that, that that you know that those are losses that are going to take if you're going to do it. You know, definitely. And, and that's that's hard, man. Not everybody can do that. Is Deep South going to have any sort of WWE relationship or tie-in or maybe tie into the Performance Center at all? Oh, no, no. I don't tell. No. We're right now, we're our own entity, and I don't – I want to be completely different than what they do. I want to, I want my guys to be able to, you know, to, to have an opportunity to go there. I want my guys to get over as much as they can and go as far as they can. But uh, – uh, I'm not really looking. You know, if if, if a, one of the bigger companies wanted to work with me and in the situation was right, I you know, I would 
certainly consider it. But as far as me, that being something that I'm aspiring to do, or you know that, I, that that's what I'm shooting, that's my goal. That's not that's not my goal at all. I wanted to come up with something completely different than than what they're doing. I'm so tired of all the talking segments. I'm so tired of watching guys go out there. I'm so tired of looking at two guys that are supposed to be really mad at each other, stand there and jaw jack at each other for eight, nine, ten minutes in the ring with a microphone in their hand, and nobody hit anybody until some music plays and a third person comes running down. You know, it's like, come on, man. This is you know, these guys are supposed to be mad at each other. They're standing there yakking like a couple of. Oh, I hate that. And uh, I, and I don't like starting a show off with a long ten minute, fifteen minute talking segment just to set up the rest of the show. I like starting my show off with a bang. I like I like action. I start every one of my opening matches is going to be somebody that's going out there and getting it because I want them to set the tone and set the pace for the rest of the evening, and everybody else is going to have to go out there and dig it to follow it. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. It's not like it's the uh, the Monday Night War era. This era of wrestling, just uh, I don't know, they're not firing on all cylinders. Let's put it that way. It is, it is not great anymore. Yeah, it's it's and it's, you know, we've seen the same old thing for so many years, you know. And uh, I just I just to me to come up and just try to do the same thing. It was especially if I because I'm. A, I don't have financial backers right now. I'm, I have sponsors that are, that are working with me to help me put different things together, but, but I'm still working on a whole list of them, you know? Right. Otherwise, this is money that I've come up with that I'm running deep south with. But, uh, you know, when you, when you, when you've got somebody else helping you money wise and you can, you can, uh, do things a little bit differently, you know, but, uh, we're shooting it close to the vest and, uh, and unless you're going to invest millions and millions of dollars, you're not going to compete with Vince to look, to, you know, to get that look, you know. And to me, you know, if you're going to have the music and you're going to have the ramp, the lights and stuff, then you, you look second or third rate unless you're going to be able to to look as good as him. So to me, you have to try and say, try something different. Yes. With, you know, going back to the Monday Night Wars and those days, WCW, how did you get in? Is that from, because your dad, and basically you made the deal with Deep Souther, how did you actually get into WCW? Well, my dad got in first. Uh, he was hired, I forgot who it was that called him that brought him in, but uh, Jim Hurd liked him a lot because he remembered him from the old days, and uh, Ted Turner remembered him from the old days. <laughs> so that helped my dad get in. My dad was in there for probably about eight months before I was. And uh, I, at the time, I uh, before I went to WCW, I was working for Eagle Snacks and driving a potato chip truck. I had, uh, in 85, I was wrestling. I started wrestling instead of refereeing, and I blew my knee out. I was out in Louisiana, and I blew my knee out really bad. And it was about two years before I could actually do be physical enough to even think about getting back in the ring. <laughs> but I still had to feed my family, so... My first job I got was at a place called Air Freight Packing and Crating, and it was a friend of mine that uh, that owned the company, and he hired me. And we built crates and made stuff. You know, we'd go in if stuff needed shipped anywhere in the world, and we we could box it up, crate it up, and send it. And uh, but it didn't pay real well. And uh, then I uh, ended up going to uh, working for Eagle Snacks, delivering potato chips and and 
peanuts and stuff and at all the grocery stores. <clears throat> and uh, I was working for them. My dad got hired, and, and I was doing uh, helping train at Deep South on the side because it hadn't become the power plant yet. And uh, it was Teddy Long was one of the referees, and he became a manager, and a referee spot opened up. And another kid that was there reffing had got fired for doing something. I forgot what he did. But there was a spot that they were looking for somebody that was experienced and knew what they were doing. And my dad says, well, what about my son, Nick Patrick? He's, he could, you could, he could be here next week if you needed him. <clears throat> and they, you know, they knew who I was because I'd, you know, been in the business for a, a while, a long while before. So they said, yep, that sounds good. And they contacted me. And next thing you know, I was on the road. And I know you had a lot of experience from Georgia, from JCP, from Florida, from Continental, Mid-South, Houston. So, I mean, you had a, a lot of experience heading into WCW. Yeah, I, I, I was fortunate enough. I come in at the tail end of the territory days, and uh, I got to experience that, which was an awesome experience. But also I got to see the very beginning of of the birth of, of the, the international companies. You know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I was this high school kid that did had been I got out of high school, I went to college for a year and while I was going to college I broke into the wrestling business part time. After my first year of college I moved back to Atlanta and that's when I got my first Georgia Championship wrestling gig. So I was like nineteen, just about I hadn't quite turned twenty years old yet. And I was working for Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'd become their head referee and we was on cable television. And cable television all of a sudden now went coast to coast <laughs> for the first time ever. Uh, so we were able to start opening up and running other than just where we were working at for the first time. That's when Georgia started back in the day when Georgia Championship Wrestling went, Georgia Championship Wrestling goes on tour to Huntington, West Virginia, and to Columbus, Ohio, and all these different places. You know, that was because of the beginning of cable TV that uh, – Vince's vision was much bigger, you know, the people that I was working for Georgia Championship, and they they just had a couple of little territories mapped out, you know, to keep themselves busy and to draw money from, where Vince saw the whole world, you know, and uh, his visions was always put him so far ahead of everybody else's. Uh, he thinks about a big picture. What did you think about WCW at that point when you got there, and Vince, you know, he's this giant, and WCW is, you know, struggling to to get along well we struggled for a long time to try and uh to try and catch them and i was just happy to have a job because i i knew what it was like to have to make decent money and then and then to not make decent money and still be uh working your butt off and uh i i was just tickled to have a job to be honest with you but for company pride you always want to become the best and uh there was a lot of frustration at times because sometimes it seemed like they would put the wrong people in the wrong positions. They would put people that weren't wrestling people in positions calling wrestling shots that, that they'd, they'd never done that before. And then they'd put wrestling people in positions of advertising or whatever, and they'd never done that before. So it, they wouldn't play into people's strengths, and it, and it created kind of a, a, a distance between the crew, the wrestlers, and the comp and the office people. There was like two distinctly different groups that wasn't working together. You know, it was like one group didn't like the other group. You know, it, uh, and it wasn't like that at WWE. You know, it was more of a team. 
and there was one clear leader. And you know, if you had questions, you get and you get and run around, and you go to the horse's head instead of the horse's butt, and you get the answers. You know, and you just man, there was times you didn't know who the hell to ask a question in WCW because they had so many chiefs and nobody wanted to be any of the Indians. They did, but they had enough chiefs. And if it's, but when it comes to giving you a clear answer, like there was this one pay per view with SummerSlam and the match with Hogan and Sting. I could ask that every time I usually do a podcast, they ask me about that finish. What was about the deal with the count? No, 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 no. Arcade '97, yeah. That's it, man. And I'm, I'll tell you what happened. What happened is I got to the building that day. I got there early because the refs had to be one of the first ones there because we signed people in and timed when they got you know there and all that crap. And uh, Eric Bischoff was there early. I was like, wow. And he pulled me aside and he gave me the straight out finish. And I said, okay. So he left and. The, the, and was gone. I couldn't find him the rest of the evening. So Hulk comes up to me, and he gives me his version of the finish. It's the same finish, only he wanted me to count one way. And then Sting came up to me, and he gave me his version of the finish, and it was the same finish, but he wanted me to count another way. So you got the same finish, but it's not the same finish if I fast count it or if I slow count it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've got one guy telling me one thing, and I've got the other guy telling me the other thing. So now, what would you do if you're in that position? Well, you go to your boss and ask them, what does he want? Because that's what you're going to do. But when you go to find your boss, and your boss doesn't want to give you that answer because he doesn't want to put himself in the line of fire or pick sides, so he disappears. And I went all night long looking for him to try and answer, what does the office want me to do? And the office wouldn't tell me what they wanted me to do because nobody wanted to pick a side. So I said, okay. Well, I'll split the damn difference in, and then won't nobody get what they wanted. So I just split the difference, and they were, uh, one group was expecting a fast count, and one group was expecting a slow count, and neither one of them got what they wanted. So everybody was like, what the heck was that? <laughs> so I, that's what I did, man. I split the difference, and I figured, what the heck? And they didn't fire me over it. And the funny thing is that the people still, and you remember the exact date and what pay-per-view I was talking about, and every time I do a podcast, somebody asks me about that. So if you think about it, you want your finishes to be controversial and something that they will remember forever. And but but hopefully it's for the right thing. <laughs> you know? hmm. At least I got that much out of it. I don't know if it was for the right thing or not. So <laughs> I feel like that so many people remember that, but they always say, "Oh, you know that that that's just WCW that that you know." that put them down or, you know, that helped put a uh, crack in WCW who was on a roll in 97. It was strange, though, because I remember just being a fan, like, what the hell just happened? How was that? Yeah, well, yeah, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but give me a clear-cut answer, you know? And that was all That was all a, a whole political thing, you know, one side against the other. And the one person that could have gave me the answer and should have given me the answer did not want to give me the answer and made sure that he was nowhere around to be found to give an answer. <laughs> what was Hogan's reasoning on telling you basically that it's a different finish? It was it was the same finish. It was just he wanted me to count it. He, uh, he wanted me to uh, give it a nice slow count. And uh, Sting wanted me to fast count it, be some heat or some controversy to it. You know, each guy had their own reason for what they wanted to do. But, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's, every match is that way, basically. You know, in, in a business where, uh, 
where everybody has to take care of their of their self, you know. Well, in, in, re- in wrestling, you try to be a team to an extent, but you always have to remember that you have to take care of yourself. You don't have an agent. You don't have, a, a, you know, I'm talking about like a Hollywood agent, not a not a wrestling agent. I don't think they call them agents anymore. They they call them producers. But uh, you have to take care of your own business when you're a wrestler. You're you're a free agent, and uh, you know all that that rah rah just boom bah team stuff that works real good when they're trying to get you something, but it doesn't always work both ways. Because Kevin Sullivan, obviously the Booker, was saying that Hogan's finish makes no sense because they've been building the storyline up for a year, and that Sting should just win, win clean, Bing Bang Boom, it's over. But Hogan yeah. and Bischoff thought that Sting wasn't in good shape. And you know the story that Bischoff was saying Sting wasn't oh, yeah. tan, tan enough and he seemed a little out of it and he didn't come in in great shape. That was, a, that was a load. That was a load. If you looked at the, if you watched the match and looked back at Sting, Sting did not look sickly or pale or anything else. I got a picture. I, I got a, a still shot picture that somebody gave me of of me and Hulk and Sting, all three of us in the ring, and the look on all three of our faces, you can, it's like none of the three of us are wanting to work <laughs> It's like you can tell that, that things weren't weren't good just by the expression on all three of our faces in this picture. <laughs> and it's funny because they could, you know, Bischoff and, and maybe Hulk maybe spin it a certain way about Sting or he was out of it or whatever, you know, whatever they were saying about him. But Shivani has a great line. He said, look at the arms there, Sting. His arms were huge. Yeah, his arms were huge. You know, but, uh, when you get older, your body changes. A lot of guys start wearing shirts and stuff. You know, your chest, your, everything changes, especially if you have to start getting off the gas. You know, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't yep. stay on that stuff all your life. You know, and, and that was a period of time where, and I don't care what anybody says, almost everybody was hardly cast back in the day. It was crazy. That's what they were buying. They yeah. weren't big, big monsters, you know, and they didn't necessarily even have to work. If you could become a big monster, they'd put people that could work with you to make you look good. Right, exactly. Now, I, I feel like that's one of the things where so many people – uh, point to like, oh, that led to the end of WCW, but WCW for another full year, full year plus, was still battling with the WWE and the Monday Night Wars. So maybe that put a crack into it, and, and maybe that the storyline should have just been staying beat Hogan, boom, and you move on, but Hogan didn't want to give up that spot. Well, that's why you have one clear boss that makes the decisions, and that's that, and instead of a committee, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh it was like I said, it was hard to get a straight answer at WCW. That was one of the frustrating things. And that was one of the down- reasons for the downfall too. And when I think back on it and I watch it and I see some of the key players that was put there, it seemed like that that they were infiltrating and was there working for Vince anyway, trying to kill things off to drive the price down so he could get a better price on it when he bought it out, you know. It was like they were treating it like a bar business instead of a Instead of a wrestling business, that you, I treated the business like if it was something I wanted to hand down to my kids to the next generation. They were like, let's get it as hot as we can and then dump it before the bottom falls out, you know? Yeah. So you think that uh, they were tanking it, do you think? I never know, but, you, but if you look at how things went and the key players that were there, what was John Laurinaitis doing there all that time? And how did he step so smoothly from – 
being the guy calling the shots at WCW to being Vince's right-hand man doing all of Vince's dirty work. It's a good point. I never even thought about it. Yeah. And it's been there for 20-plus years. Yeah. And anytime they need people cut, who do they bring in? They bring in John. John gets a percent of all the money that he saves them from cutting people, and he cuts them to the bone. Didn't know that you get a percentage. That, you know, it works out that way. You get a percentage of that. I had no idea. Used to be that way. I know that was a deal Bill Watts had when he came to WCW back in the day for a very short time. But he pissed everybody off so bad he didn't last very long. Right, yep. <laughs> uh, that was kind of funny. It Bless is crazy, though. Poor, poor Eric. Eric was a really nice kid, too, man. Had a lot of potential. It's just he wasn't presented right. You know, his dad tried to shove him down his down the people's throat before he was really ready. And uh, that kid could have been really good. You know, he had a great personality, and he could work, and he grew up around the business. But, uh, man, they just they just put him in the frying pan. <laughs> Jeez, bless his heart. Yeah, Eric Watts. I've always felt like there was something to him. Maybe when they put him on TV, he was so green he wasn't ready. But later on when he started wrestling, you tell he got pretty good. Yeah, he was a natural. He was a natural athlete. He was a quarterback in college, and you know, he, yeah, yep. And he's a smart guy. He knows the business. He, 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 but he wasn't ready for that spot. They didn't even have. He had a handful of matches. They had him doing vignettes, standing on the hillside with the, the breeze blowing in his hair, coming to an arena near you soon. You know, like, well, so what? Who is this guy? You yep. know. <laughs> Now, That's kind of like the music for guys that, that for green guys that you don't know who they are, and so you know, like, what is what's the deal with this? You know, yeah, yeah back back to that point, yeah, like he's not ready for that. Just, yeah, guy, yeah, yep. yeah. Now, just to go back to the the fall of WCW, you know, before Vince buys them, WCW gets sold to the WWF. Want to mention the NWO, the eighty three weeks of dominance. I mean, you guys were on such a roll, but perhaps one of the unsung heroes of the NWO was a great heel referee, and that is you. I used to remember watching uh, NWO Saturday night and all these different storylines with you wearing the mask, and, oh, man, it's (laughs) so funny. Like, you're refereeing, and all of a sudden... I still got that old ski mask around here somewhere, too, man. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I used to love that. And then you beat up the guy in the corner, but then you're the ref two seconds later. Like, oh, so funny. It was so good. Did you like doing that, like being the heel Oh, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's what I got. That's I got more notoriety from doing that than just about anything else I've done in the business. I've done I've, uh, I've done a lot of things, man. I have done a lot of title matches, and and I've raised the hand to a lot of new champions. And I tell everybody from because I started back in the territory days. I've worked with every world champion from Luthez to John Cena during that era. I worked with every one of them, but. Uh, since you know, since I've been out since '09, so they've had several then since then that I, that I have not worked with. But back in the day, that was that was a good little run. And the NWO was so good, and even they had the sold out pay per view. You refed every single match. Oh, that, that was brutal. And I was trying so hard for it to not become the Nick Patrick show because you know, they had me doing something dastardly in almost every match, you know. And, it was like I tried to be low key because I wasn't trying to. You know, I didn't want to 
I wasn't going to upstage some people because they had natural heat, but it's just, you know, guys that were still out there trying to get over, you know, if I did, I already had heat, so I didn't really need to do a whole lot of stuff, you know. But, uh, man, that was hard. I worked my butt off that night. <laughs> but I used to do that back in the day when we first started, you know, back in the territory days. They didn't have a, a handful of refs like Vince does, you know. There was two guys repping the whole territory, and if they if they ran two shows and one guy went one place and the other guy went the other place, and you just couldn't do anything that had ref bumps unless it was in the last match. Did they tell you anything like beforehand? Hey, by the way, you're refereeing every night at the pay per view. No, they you're didn't tell me squat about that. They, all the way up until showtime, they were going to have a couple of the other guys uh, ref. And then they decided that the storyline would be great if they all protested, and I made me do them all. And I was like, okay, well, if you think that's busting my chops, and watch this, I'll do all of them. <laughs> you know, it's not like I hadn't done it before. It was just Funny. difficult remembering all the stuff. You know, I, I couldn't remember every little thing that happened. I had to follow a lot of it because there was just too much stuff to remember. I could remember all, you know, the finish for every match. I couldn't remember every move for everything. You know, I just had to follow a lot of stuff. It was just when you do the whole show, you have to follow, just follow stuff. You can't remember everything. Yep. And it's funny here, like looking back, a lot of the fans like, oh, I hated that pay-per-view. I didn't mind it as much. Did you think that, you know, while it was happening, you know, it didn't really feel as good because it was so NWO dominated. They were kind of better when it's a WCW show and they're invading. Uh, I thought it, I, I thought it was very different. You know, it was like they were testing new grounds. There were certain things that was very cool about it, you know, just the feel of it. And I couldn't really put my finger on anything specific. But, uh, but uh, like you said, it did kind of pigeonhole you. It's like uh, you're watching the whole night of the same thing. It's like, to me, it's like if you watch a card and and you got a card full of high spot guys. And you watch every match from start to finish, the spot, 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 spot. But, you know, about about halfway in, you're thinking, okay, you know, I want something to change gears. I want guys, the technical guys. I want storyteller guys. I want to see a tag match. I want sense. I want I want to see sexuality. I want to see all of it. You know, I want the whole game. I want somebody that's going to make me laugh. I want to see something that's for the kids. You know, I want, I want to have the whole gambit in there. I don't want to see one thing. And, I, and it's the same with technical matches. I love te- technical matches, but I don't want to see two and a half hours of technical matches. You know what I mean? I want to. I want there to be a, a change of pace and a change of look. You know, and I throw a hardcore in there at the end, but I, I know I only like hardcore if, it, if if it's for a reason and you tell a story with it. You know, for me, guys just to go out there and unload on each other with a bunch of weapons for no reason and no story just because they want to have a hardcore match is kind of asinine to me. You know. To me, I like having a story and have them reason, have them have a reason why they're beating the living crap out of each other with weapons instead of just because it's a hardcore match, you know. Yeah, makes perfect sense. And kind of just going back to WCW for a second, you also feuded with Chris Jericho at the time. Oh yeah, I put a whipping on Chris Jericho at World War Three. Yes, with one <laughs> hand tied behind his back. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I got a buddy of mine that's got a special needs son that was in a real bad car wreck. And uh, he is a huge Chris Jericho fan. And I went over there and visited him and saw his son. 
And we pulled that match up and watched it. And I talked smack throughout the match to that kid until I started getting whooped in the match. And you could see his kid, his face get all lit up real big. <laughs> it That's was all. fun, man. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Was that his idea to have that feud? Because it seems funny, like, oh, uh, Jericho's getting this big push. Or, that was Kevin know, Sullivan's it, idea. Okay. That was Kevin Sullivan's idea. In fact, most of the stuff that I did was Kevin Sullivan's idea. Why did he want that feud? Why did he want what now? Why did he want the feud with you and Jericho? That was just to try and get Jericho to a different place, give him something. You know, it, it turned me heel. It gave me a chance to be, you know, an, an ass before, you know, more heat before I did the NWO thing. Cause I had, if I'm remember right, I don't think I'd done the NWO thing quite yet. I turned heel, but I don't think I was. I wasn't wearing their colors and stuff yet when I did that. But uh, time frame is kind of messed up on me there because I, I don't really remember because I did so much stuff back in the day. But uh, yeah, that uh, that NWO thing was it was it was a lot of fun, man. It was it was really cool. And I do it again in a heartbeat. I wish they could, the only thing about it is they didn't pay me a dime more. I still got the same pay. And I took every single person's finish in the territory <laughs> before it was done. And then I went to WWE and took every damn one of theirs, too. So <laughs> I had heat, man. I remember when I first went to WWE and they had me have the match with Earl Hebner. And they were telling me, you know, well, Earl screwed Brett. And I said, well, I know Earl screwed Brett, but you watch this when I walk out here. I guarantee you. If you put me with Earl or with anybody else in your company, I'm going to be the heel. And I said, really? I said, watch. And I just walked out, just going out to referee a match. And I did that. Remember when, I, when I'd walk out and I'd storm through the curtain and look at people and make that goofy that face like I wanted to fight everybody? <laughs> I popped yep. through the curtain and did that, and they started booing me and raising hell. And they said, okay, you'll be the heel. <laughs> Love it. Did they say, like, why they wanted to have a match with you and Earl? Like, it just seems funny. I know it's a part well, of the it was just a tie-in of them, you know, one them against us type of thing, you know. And, I, and as far as the thing with Jericho, it was just, I think, uh, it was just to get him someplace. You know, they didn't, you know, something to do. You know, uh, I had heat, and, it, and it, it gave him, I'm not saying it gave him a rub, but him getting to beat somebody that had some heat on him, you know, I had a lot of heat on me at that point in time. I was, I was seriously that every now and then I'd have to have service a couple of times at security and have to wait for me to help, help me walk to my car and stuff. <laughs> WWF bought WCW. Did you automatically go? Like, would your contract automatically turn to WWF, or how does that work? No. Uh, what happened is they interviewed everybody, and what happened is there was a rumor that it was going to happen, but WCW flat out denied it all the way up until the night before we went down there. And then we showed up, and then there was Shane O and Jerry Briscoe and their whole crew, and they had moved into the production truck and took things over. And what happened is... Uh, and I was I was very very fortunate, you know. Not everybody was as lucky as me. I had at that time had worked my way up to. I was an agent, and I was a and I was a, a Turner employee. When you know when you become an agent, that they they made you a Turner employee, they give you benefits and all that. So when he bought it out, 
I was still an employee, so I got to, uh, I guess, still got checks coming in for so many weeks. So uh, my WCW checks kept coming in while I was off, and, and they interviewed everybody to see if they was going to hire you or not hire you. So I sat down, I had my interview with Jim Ross and them, and uh, they told me that they didn't have any agent spots open, and I really wasn't interested in an agent spot up there because I'd already heard how they get their butts chewed on, and I don't, I don't have the temperament for that. You know, If I did something wrong, then you can chew on my butt all day long. But if you're just doing it to try and see how much I'll take, you'll find out that I, I don't take a whole lot. You know, I, don't, I just don't have the temperament for that. So I'm, I figured I'd have a lot longer run as a referee just minding my own business than I would as an agent because I'd have told somebody to stick it pretty quick up there as an agent. And that was the right choice, man. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's uh, I had my meeting with them, and uh I kept getting my WCW checks, and then finally when my last WCW check showed up, two weeks after that, my first WWE check showed up. So I did okay. But there was a lot of people, you know, that just, you know, they, they weren't employees like I was. And they were just out. And, then, you know, the Vince decided to use them. Then they sent them to a training facility thing that they had, and like they were some green kid having to start all over again, you know. It was... It was a bust your chops and type of thing, you know. It was, it was a we won the war, and 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 they treated us like that when we first went up there too, you know. You know, the office seemed like they were welcome, but they everybody had to pay their dues and pay homage and blah 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 and all that, you know. It was a bunch of bunch of silliness. In fact, it's kind of. In fact, there was a one or two crew people because they actually thought they could do it too. And, there was two different people. I said, let me tell you something. I have never, ever once treated you with disrespect. And it, I want you to make sure that you don't ever, ever, ever again treat me with disrespect or we're going to have a really bad problem that will cost me my job and cost you probably even worse. You know? mm-hmm. So, well, And there was two different ones I had to say that to because they, everybody was under the impression that it was okay to 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 bust our whatever you know it was their god given right and uh it wasn't you know that was a business you know it was all all business it wasn't a personal thing you know so uh it wasn't like uh and I don't have to pay homage to anybody if <laughs> i you know that's just uh, that's just my opinion you know and i and i'm not and I'm not going to you know that's and I don't expect them to do it to me. You know, that's that's just the way it is. Disrespect. Yeah, and it, the respect is a two-way street. You know, you give it and you take it, you know. And they didn't have a whole lot of respect for us up there, but they were expecting us to, you know, it was a test to see how much. And they do that to everybody. They test to see how much you'll take, you know, and to see if, if you're thick-skinned, you know. If you're not, then you won't be up there very long. <laughs> yes, definitely. Now you became a senior official up there, right? So I mean, they, yeah. they definitely uh, were well liked. Eventually, at some point. Yeah, I did. I did okay up there. I just, you know, I just did my job, you know, and I had got along with a lot of the guys, you know, because the guys, a lot of them had worked with me in WCW, and had gone up there, and all of a sudden became huge stars. But they still remembered me from back in the day, 
you know, I would, you know, help them or talk to them or, you know, give them advice or whatever, you know. And uh, so I had a lot of people pulling for me in my corner, you know. But uh, it wasn't key office people. It was, you know, it was more guys and agents and stuff. There were some key office people. I had Jerry Briscoe always in my corner because he knew me since I was a little boy. But uh, he was a good person to have in your corner, especially then. As far as, like, Vince and stuff, everyone always says, oh, he's crazy, or he'll change stuff on a whim. What was your kind of personal experience with him? Was he, you know, maybe a little exaggerated about some of the stories you hear from people? No, he's over the top with a lot of stuff. He's a, he's a complete egomaniac. But uh, he, uh, yeah, he does change a lot of stuff at the last minute. But uh, but sometimes people that are, are really brilliant and creative are are a little bit different, you know. Sometimes, and uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to give him the lead way or anything because he's way way different. <laughs> but he is. You got to give him credit. He's brilliant, and uh, uh, he did. He's done more for the wrestling business than probably anybody ever in the history of the business. But uh, yeah, he's he can be over the top and completely overbearing and completely full of himself, and uh, it's it, it's. It's difficult to work up there. Like I said, you got to you got to be thick skinned and you got to be able to take it, and you got to be willing to throw your mama under the bus if they decide to ask you to. And I, and I just ain't about me. <laughs> it ain't. And I can't, I can't do it. Uh, and I became kind of verbal about that toward the end of my run. So that that was another you know deciding factor. I mean, they knew that I, they knew that I had had my fill. And uh, they had treated my family very badly. The Deep South thing went bad. And uh, when they decided to close it, heck, all they had done was call my dad and say, hey, Jody, things aren't working out. We're going to uh, shut this thing down and move it down to Florida. And it had been fine. It had been okay. But what they did is they tried to sneak in while he was at home one night because they had keys and they, and they had a couple of trainers had keys to the place, and they had the trainers go down to meet them, and they was moving all the equipment out that belonged to them so that when my dad would show up to work the next day, he'd show up to a half-empty arena. And one, wow. of, the kids, one of the kids called him and told him about it. And uh, so he showed up, you know, and Pops, you know, Pops got a license to carry. And that was, and that was, that was his warehouse. So he showed up packing. And uh, they were very, very careful about what they touched because he let them know that he did not, he wouldn't see, he wouldn't be very friendly about somebody touching his stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so that went that went very badly. And you can you can bust me out and try and you know do whatever to me, you know, because I had to have a job. I had two sons. I was trying to get through school, and I was going to take it for as long as I could. But when you mess with my family. That's the line that, I, that, that just doesn't get crossed, you know. And and once that happened, I no longer had any more respect. And I looked for a way that if they, if they wanted to have a head-on collision, then I was ready to be the one that they had the head collision with, you know. And they knew that, and I let it be known, you know. I I, I didn't hide the fact. I didn't go up there challenging people. But when they tried once or twice to see how thick-skinned I was going to be, I looked him right in the eye and showed him that I was no longer that person. 
And then, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and then shortly after that, I got my notice. But I didn't care at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, was that a Vince thing or a Johnny Ace thing when they came in? Johnny, um, I'm sure it was Johnny Ace because Vince doesn't know, you know, the inner. But I did say something to him one time, actually, too. So it could have been that. I don't know. I didn't like, you know, I wasn't like crude, but uh, they were they were busting me out about something, and I, and I told Lauren Itis right in front of him, you know, and Vince was sitting right there. I said, "Look, man, <clears throat> that ain't right. You're not going to talk to me like that." And Vince said, he, and it was at the gorilla position, and he threw his hands up and says, "Nope, let's take this somewhere to another place, to another room." And I said, "By all means, let's take this to another room, and you come too." <laughs> So that was probably the end of my deal right there when I said that. Yeah. What happened after that? Nothing. Oh. You knew I, I was I was going in there to fight, and it didn't. And they didn't even have the meeting. <laughs> nice. Okay. I was going to say, wonder, wonder, uh, wonder who won that one. But oh, okay, it didn't even happen. It didn't even happen. I went on home, and I, I was waiting. But it didn't happen. I said, well, let's go to this room and meet. Let's come on. Everybody come. I want you to see what happens. I, I was mad. I was going to fight whoever wanted to go. <laughs> and I probably got whooped, but it didn't matter. I'd have fought still. I love it. Um, but as we hit the wind down and, and head towards the finish, obviously very, very seasoned referee, referee everywhere, senior referee. What What is, like, the, the basic importance of the referee? I, I've talked to a few referees. I've talked to Earl, talked to James Beard. They're saying, you know, the third man in the ring, third man in the ring. Like, what would you do, kind of describe it as, you know, the importance of a referee? The importance of a referee is to help to highlight and accentuate the talent in the ring and their match and what they're doing. It's not for you to be seen and to get yourself over unless it's designed for you to get yourself over like when they had me do the NWO stuff. Otherwise, to me, a good referee has done his job. You know, people watch the match, and they're into the match, and holy crap, and at the end of the match, they say, man, that was great. What action? And if they say, who reffed it? I don't know. You know, I don't remember who reffed it. You know, that's a good ref. It's To me, being a ref is kind of like being a really good studio musician for, for a band, you know. They, you know, they, it's got a really cool saxophone part. They take you out on the road with them. <laughs> you know, you're there to accentuate what they do and make them look the best they can and help them with their timing, help them, you know, because there's, you know, relaying messages or whatever. Because TV and house shows are two different jobs altogether. You know, house shows, you're having more fun and you're more improvised and you're more work. TV, you've got an earpiece on and you're the communication between the truck and the guys. You know, so there's, you know, the improvised part is pretty much out the door. You know, so uh, your role is, is different on, on TV, you know, than it is in the house. In the house shows, you you get to play with them a little bit more and have more fun and be part of the gimmick a little bit more. But TV, it's more or less, you know, just straight up and, and trying to find ways to communicate without the microphones picking you up and stuff. You know, it's, uh, we're just there to accent them if you, if you, if you're in the wrestling business to become famous so everybody will know your name and you can sell gimmicks and don't become a referee. As far as guys asking for you 
you know, referee their match or guys that you would work with a lot. Is there somebody that you would always work with or they would want to work with you? Oh, man, I worked with all kinds of guys. I worked a lot with Booker T. I worked a lot with JBL. I worked a lot with The Undertaker there for a while. Uh, down in, uh, in WCW, I worked a lot with Harlem Heat. I worked a lot uh, with Vader, but British Bulldogs. I, I tried to – we had different refs at the time, and I tried to not be the one ref that always took the main event, you know. I wanted to spread it out, you know. Then let you know. Sometimes I'd let somebody else take the main event, Mickey J or or Billy Billy Silverman or, or you know. They, you know, we had a bunch of different guys and Charles and Charles Robinson, you know. And so I tried to split it up so it wouldn't always be the same guy doing the same thing. And sometimes there, especially there toward the end, I like letting somebody else do that main event so I could get done early and get the heck down the road wherever we was going because we travel our butts off, man. As far as kind of guys, they say, like, they are comfortable, I guess, when they prefer a referee. Is that something that you guys just have good chemistry, like working together? Yeah, they just get used to the – it's like being on cruise control and, and you're there. They don't have to think about it. You're in there and they don't have to direct you or tell you what to do, you know, like uh, because the heels in control of the match, you know, especially old school days. But it's still that way to an extent. You know, but if, if you've got a good ref, he's in there just following what you're doing, and it's just part of it. You don't have to direct him along with the guy that you're working with, too. You know, he, in fact, he helps you carry spots and do stuff, you know. And that just happens from, from working with guys on the road all the time, you know. And you just get used to it. You know what they're going to do because you, you can see how they're they're leading up to it. And, you know, once you work with guys a lot, you get to a point where you don't even really have to talk because you can just kind of see what's happening and just do it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's great to kind of have that chemistry, though. It, it, oh, man, so, yeah. They're so comfortable with you, and they're asking for you, and they want you for their match. Yeah, it's fun, man. It's it's uh, it's really smooth. and it's, it's to be a part of something, and you're working in front of a sold-out crowd, and you're part of the machine and part of what's happening, and and the people are going absolutely bonkers over what you guys are doing in the ring. There is really, it, it's almost impossible to describe that feeling. It's man, it's 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 unbelievable. And when you're in the ring and and the noise is so loud, like especially like overseas, when I used to be overseas and I and I'd referee an Undertaker match. I'd be out in the ring before Undertaker come out, and as soon as he popped out through that curtain, man, it got so loud. You ever been to a drag race, and when those drag race cars ride by you, you can actually feel the sound? Yes. Oh, yeah. When you're in the middle of the ring, and the whole you're surrounded by the whole arena, and those people roar because of the Undertaker or whatever, you can actually feel that sound. And man, I got hair standing up on my arms right now just telling you about it. <laughs> but... Uh, Man, that is that's a undescribable feeling, and it's I don't know how how any other way to get it. As far as deep south and and everything, so please give us you know one more big push and plug, and where everybody can see deep south and why they should be watching deep south. 
They should be watching Deep South because Deep South is bringing to them the very best of the local independent guys that are trying to break through. That are serious about the business. That aren't just they're not just guys that went and ordered a pair of boots and tights off the internet and and have three or four matches a year and tell everybody they're a wrestler instead of a mechanic or whatever they do. You know, these are cats that are really putting in the work in the gym. They have jobs, they have families, but they train their butts off and they're doing shots every time they get a chance. And you can, it shows in their work. You know, they, you know, they have a dedication level and I, I'm bringing folks to you that can get it done. And I'm, I'm giving you more bang for the buck. I'm you know, getting five matches in an hour with less talk and more action. You're not going to see a bunch of guys standing there talking for 10 minutes to try and set something up. We're going to hook it up and get it on coming up right out of the shoot. Now, where can everybody find you? I know you can get Deep South, right? DeepSouthWrestling.com. But how about you? Do you have anywhere where people can kind of uh, reach well, out to you? Find, yeah, you? you can find me on DeepSouth.com. But you can find me on Facebook. I use my real name, uh, Joe Hamilton. Uh, that's what everybody knows me by anymore because Nick Patrick's kind of been out of the scene for a while, you know. I you know, I help with Deep South and I use my, my Dick my Nick Patrick persona, you know, to help, you know, because people recognize me, so it helps. But uh it, you know, I hadn't been in the limelight or or been in the main thrust since well uh, I got released in Ohio from WWE and I hadn't been in the main thrust since I've just done local stuff. But uh but uh Check out Deep South Wrestling because we're bringing it, man. I got some young guys that are hungry and that aren't waiting to, for for somebody to, to call them and look for them. They're they're, they're going to get looked at. They're putting their stuff out there right now so they can get looked at. Now you and don't my have a second show is out tonight on DeepSouthWrestling.com. Now you don't have a T-shirt uh, store, right? Uh, I don't have any. I, no, we don't have any T-shirts that we're selling yet. We're about to order some new ones. And we just actually we had a bunch of old T-shirts left from the old Deep South when we was working with uh, WWE, and uh, we had some of them left. But uh, from back in the day, all stored. We had so much Deep South stuff stored. That's why I decided, you know, gosh, well, you know, I've got a whole wrestling company sitting right here. I just need, you know, I, I need a backer, and I need some guys that'll work. And I had the guys, you know, I, I got guys that'll work now. I got folks ringing off the hook now. Wanting to come be a part of the South, so and you know it tickles me to death too. But uh, I want to use the best ones and uh, try and bring the very best ones to you. And I've got a, a group of hungry young Hellcats that are out there getting it on. And it's a it's a good show. It's there's not a lot of cussing in it. There's not a lot of you know, it's action. And and we bring you right in close to it. Our camera angles almost put you right in the ring. Awesome, love it. I saw somebody selling "I'm a Nick Patrick Guy" T-shirt online, and I thought maybe it was in conjunction with you, but I guess it's not. No, I hadn't heard anything about it or even seen it. That's that's pretty cool. I'm glad that there are people out there that consider themselves Nick Patrick Guy. Heck, <laughs> I hope there'll be a few Nick Patrick gals out there. <laughs> you should be getting a cut of those shirts, though, if they sell. Well, yeah, I would like that, but I would imagine the cut would be real big. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. Yes, good point. But uh, Mr. Patrick, Mr. Hamilton, thank you uh, so much for all the time tonight. Really appreciate it, and good luck. With well, thank you very much for having me, man. Thanks for letting me plug my company. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you for all the time. Really appreciate it. All right, brother. Well, you have a good one, man. We uh, hope we hook up and do it again sometime. 
This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.